This morning, if you would turn in your Bibles to the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians as we continue our study here in spiritual warfare. and I'm going to do a little on-the-fly condensing this morning, and we're going to add another study to this one. So there will be four parts, not three. <laughs> you know... So I was preparing this morning as I was going over my notes, as I looked at what really is at stake here. This is perhaps one of the most important subjects that, that the church faces in a practical sense. Because in fact, our lives as believers are a battle. Uh, there is warfare that's going on constantly. But it's not the warfare that is portrayed in the media. It's not the hocus-pocus, voodoo-like, you know, get out a giant cross, anoint everything with oil, splash some holy water on it, find an exorcist type of battle. It is a very personal warfare that we engage in. And it is principally for your mind and your heart. That's where the war rages virtually every day. For those that have walked with the Lord for a long time, you know what I just said is absolute truth. Rarely does a day go by when I don't get up and it's just an assault on the character of Christ, the authority of His Word, the truth of the Gospel, the fact that we are victors, that we have, uh, in essence, a, a victory that's been won, that we're participating in, the battle is for our mind. The battle in, ensues this way, not in these things that we often see in movies to where there's some demonic force that's you know, obviously hideous that's hovering in your bedroom. It is fear. It's doubt. It's condemnation, it's anxiety, depression, worry, hopelessness, evil thoughts. All of these things, hatred, strife, gossip, that's where we battle. And so this morning I want to focus in on the wiles of the devil, the things that we really are fighting against. And so this morning... Let's offer our time to the Lord for him to speak to us as we study. Father God, we thank you that the cross of Christ, we thank you, Jesus, that your blood is sufficient to remit our sins, to cast them as far as the east is from the west, to renew a right spirit, to transform and renew our minds, to make us new creations in Christ. Nothing else need be done. But because we're victors, because the enemy is real and he hates us, we're in the midst of a war, a spiritual war. And we ask this morning that you'd help us to be girded up. Lord, that you'd help clothe us in the armor necessary to fight the good fight. And so, God, we offer this time, we ask you to speak to us. Lord, from heaven, descend upon this place by your Spirit through your word, to teach us, to train us up as your people. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 10. 
And finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And remember, we covered that. Not in you, not in me, not in church, not in Calvary Chapel, not in programs, not in other books and helps and resources. Be strong in the Lord. And every one of you this morning can personally be strong in the Lord. It relies not on any other thing other than your relationship personally with the true and the living God who is more than able and through Him you are more than conquerors. You can fight the good fight and you can win. And he goes on to say in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Not part of the armor. The whole armor of God. If you leave your heart unguarded, you're in trouble. If you leave your mind unguarded, you're in trouble. If you do not have peace to stand, you're in trouble. If you do not take out the sword of the Spirit, you're in trouble. If you have not the shield of faith, you're in trouble. You need the whole armor of God. All of it. They work together. Each one is valuable in and of itself, but they work together. Why? that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we're going to focus in this morning on this principle. The crafty cunningness of the devil, the methodea of the devil. We get our English word methods from this word translated here in Ephesians. It is the only place in the entire Bible that this word is used. It's used twice, once in chapter 4. Here in chapter 6, it means the same thing translated into English, wiles, or cunning craftiness, but it means methods. How does he work? We use a phrase in our society, what is his M.O.? That means method of operation. Everybody understand that? What, what is the reason and how does that person work that way? How is it that they function? That's exactly what's being stated here. The devil has an MO, a method whereby he works. And it is not as Job experienced for most people to where he physically attacks us, though that can happen. It is not as it was in Job's case to where every single member of his family is wiped out, though that can happen. It is not as in Job's case to where you lose absolutely everything, though that can happen. For most Christians, it is right here in the head and right here in the heart. That's where the battle rages, and it rages virtually every day in those two places. Every thought is to be taken captive, and if not... You're saying to the enemy, here, you can have these. Every word considered, because if not, you're saying to the enemy, here, you can have these. Every imaginative thing 
needs to be purposed by the Spirit. Or you're saying to the enemy, here, you can have these. And whether it's the mental side of your mind or the emotional side of your heart, it is in those two places that this battle rages. And so the real question is, with this warfare that we engage in, is will you take up the armor and will you get ready to fight the enemy the way he fights? You see, it doesn't do any good, and I often get pretty concerned about people who want to go and uh, simply anoint every part of their house with oil or splash holy water or simply have me come over and pray. There is some value. I don't want to mistake uh, and cause you to think wrongly here, but that's not how the war is going to be won nor waged. It's going to be fought in your head and in your heart. And it's going to be one in your head and in your heart. Doorposts anointed with oil have no more value than the prayers offered in faith. It's that simple. Holy water is no more holy than any water that's already water that's blessed of God. Amen? Bigger the cross doesn't have more power. If you have icons and things that you pray to, as some people do, they have zero power. Your Bible says there is power in the name of Jesus. By His Spirit. It doesn't say that anything inanimate on this earth is ever to be trusted in in fighting this fight. Ever. It's a spiritual battle. And so he now goes on to say as we move forward, Why? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not people. It's not armies, human armies. It's not even the systems themselves, though the systems themselves can be used by the enemy as we saw last time. You're fighting a spiritual battle. But against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. In other words, it is that battle which we do not see. So is it actually your spouse that you're in battle with when you have that argument? Nope. Not as believers. It's the enemy stimulating the head and the heart to think and act wrongly, then to attain uh, what we would call a temptation, and then to act on that temptation to then speak words that are unloving, unkind, and untrue. And the battle then is being waged in spiritual places, but it is not against your spouse. It's not against your children. It's not against your employer or an employee. It's not against a governing official. It isn't against a police officer. It's not against some other economic force in the world like China. It's not against anyone that's alive here on this earth. It is against the enemy and his forces. And it's being fought in the heavenlies behind the scenes. Those people are only an evidence that it's real. That's what's happening. 
That's why this says wiles. It, it, it is these methods, strategies. They're deceptive. And that's exactly why cults do what they do. Because they're using a little bit of truth with a little bit of lie, and they're fighting to, in essence, capture the mind and the heart of someone without giving them the tools to wage the war. And so when you look at what happens in our world, most of the time, if not all the time, spiritual warfare contains an element of a lie being proposed as truth. You think your spouse hates you. Spouse doesn't hate you. They just can't stand the fact that you just bought a house without them knowing about it. Okay? They don't hate you. They may think you're an idiot, but they don't hate you. You see, it's waged in the mind and in the heart. The heart, the emotions, the seed of it is wounded. The mind is now considering these things, and the enemy's going, See, she hates you. He can't stand you. And the enemy takes a little thing and makes it into a huge thing. And as he does that, I want you to notice this list. Fear, doubt, condemnation, all these things that I have listed here. Is there actually any substance to any of them? And I'm talking about real substance. I'm not talking about fear being real, like you're going to get run over. That's real fear, of course. You're walking in the street, semi's coming, you have healthy fear, I need to get out of the road. But when the enemy assaults your mind with fear like this, God doesn't love you. There actually is a hell, but there's no heaven. And all of a sudden, your mind begins to entertain those thoughts. And because you don't have a grasp of God's Word, and because you're sitting there already believing because someone else just used the lovely gift of discouragement on you, yeah, well, you are kind of a scum. The enemy's an opportunist, and he takes these things. Those of you who are parents, has not Satan used your own children against you? Amen? They do. you got these thoughts. It's like, I've raised monsters. I can't believe I did this. There's these hideous things going on, and you begin to fear that there's no way that you can ever conquer this. But there's absolutely no substance to it. It could be flipped around, really, in a moment, by changing the mindset that you have and the way that you view the facts, and then taking the Spirit of God in His leading and saying, you know what, we do need to alter these things, but there's no real substance to the fear. And so it is true with all these things. How many people are overcome with doubt that they're even saved? I have had that as a pastor. I've woken up in the middle of the night, filled with, there is no God. And then I'll, I have to pray, just like you do. I went through a period of time questioning whether this was actually God's Word or not. I said, oh, I don't know. It's, you know, Ben wrote it. I mean, all of a sudden, your mind is spinning. And there's doubt. And we're not talking about the kind of doubt that fully God understands that you don't know everything, and so there's some questions you have. That's also doubt that's actually helpful, isn't it? 
because it makes you study. It causes you to go to the Word and be a Berean. But there's very unhealthy doubt that the enemy says it's all a farce. Every last, this Christian says, what are you? You're an idiot. You are the dumbest pile of rocks on the face of the earth. And all of a sudden, that doubt just spins in your mind. And all of a sudden, somebody else comes along. You ever noticed how at the perfect time, someone comes to validate that doubt and that fear and that angst and that anger and that hatred and that condemnation? And before you know it, there's this long string of people who seemingly all have the same word to you. Oh, yeah, I used to be a Christian, but, you know, I'm not a Christian anymore because they've proven God doesn't exist. You ask them who the ethereal day is, they can't tell you. But the enemy knows exactly when to hit you. And he hits you right here in your head and right here in your heart. And then maybe he brings you a book. and Oh, yeah, 75 ways that the church is ripping off America. Somebody hands you that book. Well, you, you don't even know the guy. Walks up. Here, I got a good book for you. Read this. And all of a sudden you're wondering, where did that come from? It came from the pit of hell. The enemy purposed to attack your mind and to attack your heart with his wiles. God's not real. These are things that play on our emotions, that toy with our minds. They're the result of external pressures that result in internal struggles. Do you get that? All of a sudden you see something, you hear something, you watch something. It's real. And yet it is to you one of those things you didn't really have an opinion on, and all of a sudden you're sitting there going, man, where did that thought come from? How did I get that into my head? Vain imaginations, evil thoughts. I know people that are plagued by evil thoughts. Maybe they've had a history of some type of sinful behavior where, unfortunately, let me give you a little clue. If you're a new believer, you don't get a mind eraser when you get saved. You don't, you know, it's like here, the Acme mind eraser, like you used to have in the Bugs Bunny cartoons, and it's all gone. It's still there. It's not the new you, it's the old you. And the enemy goes, oh, well, the old you used to be like this. And you say, well, yeah, I thought like that. And then the doubt comes, well, maybe I am, maybe I'm not transformed. And the fear and the doubt and the vain imaginations of those old ways of life, well, yeah, it was kind of fun, huh? And all of a sudden, Satan's just pushing your buttons. You want to do that, don't you? You want to engage in those behaviors. You want to do that same. You want to do it twice. The enemy's going, see, you're not changed. This Christian thing isn't real. You went to, what a, you're a joke. Jesus is a joke. Right here, right here, head and heart. That's where the battle's going to rage. For the rest of your days, it will not cease so long as you're on this earth. Now, I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying this to say that you need the whole 
armor of God so that you're able to withstand it. It's going to happen. It is, as we say, a foregone conclusion. It's going to happen. Be ready for it. Know it. We can look back on really what happened in the Garden of Eden and we get a pretty clear picture of this. I want you to just notice a couple of things. Number one, there was nothing going on in the garden that was that pervasive, was there? It wasn't like the tree that they were told not to eat of, you know, was so overwhelmingly wonderful that you couldn't ignore it. It, it was not this, like, man, I, it's like a gravity towards this tree and I just can't help myself. It was not that at all. There was deception on the part of the enemy that led to disobedience on the part of Adam and Eve. There was deception that led to disobedience. That's what happened. That's the story. Why do we know that? Your Bible's very accurate. The serpent of old, Satan himself said, Hath God surely said... No, if you eat of that, you're going to be just like he is. He knows that. He's keeping you from that tree because he knows the moment you eat of it, you're going to be just as good as he is. That's deception. Because that was not the reason that God didn't want them to eat of that tree. He knew the moment they did, they would become mortal. He knew the moment they did, they would inherit a sin nature. He knew exactly. He told them the truth, and the enemy told them a lie. And he made the lie look very attractive. Family of God, Satan still makes lies look very attractive. Oh, your wife doesn't understand you. Your husband doesn't understand you. And you know, if you just change spouses, your worries would be over. You know, your kids, they really are kind of a demonic host in and of themselves. And if you would just maltreat them, your problems would be over. The enemy lies. That's what he does. That's how he functions. He wants to deceive. He wants you to believe those lies. Jesus, on the contrary, said of himself, I am the way, I am the truth, solitary, singular truth. He's it. He's the embodiment of truth. He is truth. Everything he's ever said is true. There is no shadow of turning in him, your Bible says. He's completely truth. So on one hand, you have the deceiver who wants you to be disobedient. On the other hand, you have God who is completely truth. His son, Jesus, who is the embodiment of exactly how he acts and is. And he says to you, I want you to be people of truth. The enemy's going, wow, it's kind of hard. I mean, after all, do you really want to live that way? And he pokes your buttons of your flesh. He wants us to be deceived so that we will then be disobedient. It's very simple. And it's shockingly effective. Amen?
Think about it. It is effective. It's an effective strategy. The enemy does not have to tell you a total lie. He only needs to tell you a partial truth. Case in point, how many false religions are there that actually have their beginnings in mainstream evangelical Christendom? Let me name some for you. The Mormon Church came from the Methodist Church. Seventh-day Adventists came from the Methodist Church. Matter of fact, all of these came from the Methodist Church. All of the cults that we have in our world, Jehovah's Witnesses, came out, Charles Says Russell, Methodist Church, Mary Baker Eddy, Christian Science, came out of the Methodist Church, mainline evangelical Christendom. Well, you know, I think that God is just the embodiment. Jesus is the embodiment of the Christ ideal. Doesn't that sound nice? The Christ ideal. Don't you want to be like the Christ ideal? And then she goes on to say, Mary Baker Eddy does, of Christian science, that, well, you know, there actually isn't any reality. And so she herself does not take medications for her own diseases and then dies from them. Well, if you just had more faith. She was the forerunner of the health, wealth, and prosperity movement. Well, you don't need anything. Don't go see a doctor. If you do, you don't have enough faith. If you believe that, we need to talk after service. God uses doctors. Lee's back there because God used doctors and nurses and medication and your prayers. God knows how to use His creation. But the enemy is very crafty. He uses deceptive strategies. And I want to just drive this point home as we begin the the armor, maybe we'll get to one today, but I want to make sure you have this. You, you see, I actually believe that most psychologists and psychiatrists would have very little, if anything, to do if the entire world were saved and people were walking with Jesus. I really believe that. Now, I did not just condemn outright all psychology nor all psychiatrists. I did not do that, so please don't say something about what I said that I did not say. But I am saying that as far as Christians are concerned, and as far as we as the body of Christ are concerned, and as far as the weapons of your warfare being effective, they are sufficient to completely guard your head and completely guard your heart, your mind, and your emotions. And that's why it says, take these things up. And it begins with the waist belt of truth. You, you see, your warfare requires the right tools to fight the fight. Amen? Let me help you with this. Let me speak to this issue and let us complete this as we finish up all of these tools that you have at your disposal. You, you see, you can't fight this battle by fighting your friends. You can't fight it by being at odds with a group of people. It is not specific people that you're engaged in warfare with or against. It is a spiritual battle. You must have spiritual weapons to fight it with. The problem is we pick up carnal weapons to fight spiritual battles. And so we respond back with unkind words. We say things that we shouldn't say. We behave in ways that we shouldn't behave. We take and then don't practice the truth to try and combat something that was said untruthful about us. 
We judge motivations instead of words and actions. Paul, as he wrote to the church at Corinth in his second letter in chapter 10, said this in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, he's just simply making a statement, we're flesh. You guys have real bodies, you walk in a real world, there is a reality called earth, and you're in it, you're on it. We walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. He echoes the same thing, writing to the church at Corinth. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God unto the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, they're not the regular kind of weapons. You've got to have the right weapons, and they need to be focused the right way. Casting down arguments. Every high thing that exalts itself, what? Against the knowledge of God. It's, in fact, God's character and nature that's really at stake in warfare, spiritually speaking. God is who he says he is, and God does do what he says he, did, he will do, and he is able. There, there is nothing that God can't do. Nothing, your Bible says, is impossible for God. Nothing. That word no thing means exactly that, not a single thing. Bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. And so, family of God, let's be real clear on this. None of you are going to go out. I, here's the deal. You get to go on a safari to Africa. Most of you will want to take a camera. Some of you, maybe you have that big game hunting instinct. I can tell you what you're not going to do. You're not taking a slingshot to hunt elephants. Amen? Good way to get stomped to death. Wrong weapon against the foe. Amen? Everybody got that pretty clear? I can also tell you that you, if you have gophers like I do and moles like we do in our yard, you, you don't call the United States Air Force, uh, Vector 1, uh, we've got an incoming, <laughs> and you blow your entire lawn up trying to kill one gopher. You don't want a laser-guided bomb for a gopher, okay? You want the right weapon. We have a cat. She's very stealthy. She's also completely ineffective, but... You want the right weapon for the battle, okay? You don't want too much, you don't want too little. And so we have these weapons. And I'll give you a couple of analogies here. During the Second World War, if you remember the, the battle for North Africa, German General uh, Erwin Rommel, the Africa Corps, the, Devils, the Desert Fox is there. We finally win the Africa campaign. The next place, obviously, is going to be attacking uh, some place on the Mediterranean coast for the Allied forces, the Axis forces under the control of Hitler and Mussolini, uh, probably realized that. An interesting story that happens, Major William Martin, who was a British subject, he, he actually died in England in a swamp from pneumonia. They took his corpse. They dressed it up in a pilot's uniform, placed him inside of a life raft with one oar, popped a submarine up in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, just off the coast of Sicily, put papers in his jacket pocket that indicated that the Allied forces were going to land in Sardinian Greece. His body was found by the Axis forces. Those papers eventually made it to Hitler in the Eagle's Nest in Berchtesgarten. And through that, the Germans sent most of their forces to Sardinia and to Greece, and yet the Allied forces landed in a very different place in Sicily. 
completely protected. You see, it, spiritual warfare is like that. The enemy saying, oh, go over here, go over here, fight there, fight this, fight them. You know, they're against you. You want to know the enemy's strategy. You want to know what his plans are. You want to know how he works and what he does and how he thinks. And so you're going to notice that most of this armor is defensive. You've got two offensive pieces, prayer and the Word of God. You have five defensive pieces. That should tell you something. God wants you well defended, and He does not necessarily want you to simply take the enemy on headlong every day. You have the power to do that in Christ, but it's not a wise thing for you to take on the Axis forces by yourself. Satan looks for those unguarded beachheads. That's why we've already seen in chapter 4. Do not give place to the enemy. You don't want to tell him what's going on. You don't want him knowing your plans. You want to know what he's doing. What's he going to do? He's going to attack your heart and your mind. It's where he's going to come. Very few of you are ever going to experience true demonic attacks to where there are literally demonic forces. It can happen. Don't mistake what I'm saying. But it is rare. But all of you will have your heads and your hearts attacked. Every last one of you. That's why he's already told us that we walk circumspectly, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Let me give you another quick example. Probably many of you have seen Sir Lawrence Olivier in Lawrence of Arabia, yeah? Academy Award winning motion picture. Tremendous battle scene near the end of it. Lawrence of Arabia is gathered together with all of these Arab forces and they come charging out of nowhere. If you look at the map of that area of the world, the Red Sea comes up and forms an end and then there's the Gulf of the Suez on one side, there's the Gulf of Aqaba on the other, and in between is the Sinai Peninsula. It's also called the Anvil of the Sun. And so the Turkish forces, which had managed to overtake the Gulf of Aqaba and had stationed themselves in the city of Aqaba, had faced gigantic naval guns, the only direction that people could attack from the ocean in, which is towards the sea itself. Gigantic batteries. And in the movie, you see this force of, of absolute nomads come charging in out of nowhere to attack the city of Aqaba from what is called the Anvil of the Sun or modern-day Sinai. You see, the guns were pointed the wrong direction to protect for that kind of attack. And sometimes we do that as well. Not only do we not have the right kind of weapons and the right kind of information, we're pointed the wrong way. We're pointed to people. Well, if I just get even with that person, I just do this. Watch that movie and, and see the camels and the horses and guys with... And here's these gigantic 13-inch naval guns pointed down at the coastline, and these guys just swoop in from the back, and the battle is won. The enemy's going to swoop in from the back, and he's going to try and get you where you're not prepared. Know that. Spiritual warfare is a must. We're going to make some mistakes, but you can also fight the fight and win. As we begin next week with the waist belt, the girdle of truth, 
we begin with the one thing that's exactly the opposite of how the enemy works. He works with lies. We work with truth. Amen? Remember, it's in your head and in your heart where the battle is fought. Remember to make sure that you have done the best you can to understand the enemy's battle plan by reading what the Word says because you have insight right here into how he's going to attack you. And we're going to cover all of these pieces of our arsenal of warfare as we pick up next week. Don't be caught unawares. Let the Lord shield your head and your heart. Amen? Because you can win and you should win. And God wants you to be a victor. We want to fight the good fight, not just fight for the sake of fighting. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning together and we ask, God, that as we wage warfare, Lord, surely the enemy will come with vain imaginations and fear and doubt and condemnation. Lord, he'll try and get us to focus in on the wrong places at the wrong time and against the wrong kinds of enemies. Lord, we want to be wise and we want to do all to stand. Lord, we don't want to get caught unaware. And so God, help us to defend the beachhead. Lord, help us to also be looking behind and above wherein our help lies. Lord, we thank you that that we do have that victory to lean on. Lord, the, the war has been won by Jesus on the cross. That is sure, that is certain, and that is true. And so, Lord, help us to be people of truth. Lord, help us to walk in the truth. Lord, help us to not fulfill the desires of our flesh as we turn to you, God. We pray that you'd prepare us. We pray that you would defend us. We pray that you would offensively put the enemy to rest, Lord, in our lives. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And all God's people said, Amen.